You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, podcast listeners. This is Randy Bolander on the Third Cup of Coffee. Glad to be with you today, dropping the podcast a little bit early this week. I had a hole in my schedule. I can record now. And uh, why sit around not doing it? Why not go ahead and drop it early? If you are listening to this on Thursday and you didn't know it was available on Monday, it shouldn't matter. It should probably last for at least a week. So don't feel bad if you didn't get to it as soon as it came out. I am going to go directly into the teaching from yesterday. I was in part two of a multi-part series on 1 John chapter 4. You're like, multi-part series, how come you don't know how many parts are in it? I just don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I started as a standalone message, and now we're two weeks into it, and I have way more to say than I did when I started, and so it's going to be longer. I don't exactly know. We'll, We'll go a couple more weeks at least on it, but part two centers on the idea of the fact that there are counterfeit Jesus images out there. There are what the Bible calls Antichrist spirits that we have to watch out for. And I'm not trying to make this about Casper the friendly ghost or the unfriendly ghost in this case. I'm saying there are people who operate in a spirit that is a counterfeit of Jesus. The wild-haired cult leader is not the most dangerous person to the church, okay? That is not the most dangerous person that the church will encounter. The most dangerous person to the church is the reasonable leader who only preaches part of Jesus and then tells the congregation that they now know the whole person. That is actually pretty dangerous. Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man, and there are some great reasons for that and some great benefits that come from him being both. And when you can get your arms around a Jesus who is fully God and fully man, then you know you've found the real thing. Without pre-preaching the sermon, I'm just going to go ahead and roll tape from what I taught yesterday on 1 John chapter 4. I hope you find it beneficial. It's not a real normal Sunday morning message, uh, but these are not normal Sunday mornings. Uh, It is not normal for people all over the place to uh, log on and watch a man speak from his basement. Um, that actually has kind of cultic overtones if you think about it, but we're not that. If you're visiting, we're not that. Uh, and I haven't been accused of being normal in a long time. These are unusual times, and it affects uh, how we study the Word, and it should affect how we study the Word. Uh, historically, sometimes as pastors, we are guilty of wondering what people's biggest problem is that week and trying to speak to it, and uh, there is some value to that, but this morning, and as we look at First John through this whole, this whole season, I really want to look at our, our longer-term life. The purpose of this line of study is long-term faith sustained and supported by Scripture, by some element of understanding of it, and by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, normal teaching is more of you know, an immediate need thing. I'm thinking down the road and where life is going. Uh, because normal has gone by the wayside, and that's painful because it was actually pretty comfortable. Everything was nice, uh, but we're entering a season here where things could very likely be harder for a while. And uh, I I'm, don't say that as a prophet of doom by any means, but but our lives have been so easy that just them being different seems hard. Just right now, what we're dealing with in the way is different. What we call hard is actually mostly just inconvenience. 
and normal may not come back. And this has happened through the centuries where there has been a, a shift in the timeline and things have been different. And those that lived before the shift couldn't imagine life after the shift. And those that were born after the shift couldn't imagine what it was like before. In uh, May of uh, 1980, there, there was a shift. If Had you hiked or hunted or fished on Mount St. Helens before that time, you had a very distinct memory of what that was like. But when the top blew off the mountain, everything changed. I remember, I think I was in maybe the seventh grade and our PE class had to be held inside a thousand miles away because all of the ash that was blowing over us, all the very place where all those people had all those memories was a thousand feet in the air above our heads. And once it all settled down, anybody who went back to visit the mountain would say, this is a completely different place. And it would be hard to imagine what it was like if all you ever saw it was before. And if you only saw it before, it was hard to imagine what it was going to be like. That's what a geologist calls, uh, call a tectonic shift, where there's a, a shift in the landscape where everything is different. I, I feel like we're in what you might call a tectonic shift in the timeline of humanity. And not everybody sees it or wants to see it. Some refuse to acknowledge it, mostly because they don't want to let go of the way things were, or they've never seen anything like this before, and so they can't imagine it. History his, really is not kind to people who do not perceive these tectonic shifts. Jesus even warned us, Luke 12, 56, he says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He's like, we're in a shift. I'm here. You don't see it. And it does not go well for those that do not see it. I don't want to miss what the Lord is doing in this time just because we really liked the way things were. Time is shifting. And the life that most of us called terra firma, we thought was always normal, Latin for common or solid ground, it's being now shifted into what the Latins might call terra modus, or the ground is moving. Terra firma is now terra modus. And you go, I just want to go back to normal because this is rattling my faith. There's this gray, gray, different area that we're living. If that's true, then our faith was probably in normal rather than Jesus, because Jesus is going to be the one thing is consistent through our lives. In this season of tectonic shift or terra modus, when we can't count on the patterns or the systems, or maybe even the people that we have counted on in the past, we need to sharpen the skills that we read about last week when we looked at 1 John chapter 4, where it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And just as a quick recap, we talked about this last week, that everything of value at some point is counterfeited. And John was warning people that the very Jesus that they wanted to follow would be counterfeited by an antichrist spirit. Now, he wasn't just talking about a person in the future, although that antichrist person, that individual, that's a real thing. He was talking about a spirit that would be active in our age that would seem to represent good, but was actually evil. And we talked last week about discerning or testing how it is not about our mannerisms or our personal preferences. It is about our Jesus. It's about who Jesus is. So this morning, we're going to talk about what theologians call Christology or the nature of 
who Jesus is, because our faith is never about circumstance. It's always about Jesus. It's never about us or what we like or how we prefer things. It's about the king of the universe, God, pointing to Jesus and saying, that is my son, and then our hearts coming into agreement with that reality. And that's where the counterfeit takes place. Fortunately, to counteract the counterfeit, John goes on to be really clear about who Jesus is. And we read this scripture as well last week, and then we're going to launch into some new thoughts. First John chapter 4, 2, and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist who you heard was coming and is now already in the world. That's how we know he was talking about a, a spiritual reality, not just an individual. Again, although an antichrist person is coming, he said that spirit is going to be operating. And we told you last week, if you're an underliner in your Bible, underline that phrase, Jesus Christ come in the flesh is from God. Come in the flesh is from God. That phrase is the litmus test of how we look at Jesus and to tell if we're looking at the real Jesus. He was fully God, and he was fully man. And if we don't reach both directions, we never fully embrace who he is. Because half of a Jesus, believing he was only God, but he wasn't really man, or he was only a man, he wasn't really God, that's no Jesus at all. Who Jesus is has always been the stumbling point for people, and even was for the Jews back in the time of his ministry here on the earth. The Jews had a real grip on spiritual reality that maybe we don't, like or a more of a fuller understanding of the spirit world. It was real to them. They had a developed pattern of thought around the idea of angels that we may not. And it was so real to them that in the book of Acts in chapter 12, when Peter is supernaturally released from prison and walks free... When he goes back to his small group and knocks on the door, is like, hey, guys, you've been praying for me. I'm here. Their initial reaction to him is, oh, it must be his angel. They don't, they don't think, well, Peter got out of jail. They think this must be an angel that looks like Peter. The, the angelic realm was that real to them. De the idea of demons and the spirit world was not secondary. They also understood the physical realm very well. They understood physical profit properties. They understood physics. They had built cities with elaborate water distribution systems. They commanded large armies. They understood logistics. Uh, they understood the physical realm or what we might call physical reality. They lived with physical oppression. They knew what it was like to have their country invaded and for it to be uh, possessed by another nation. They lived. They weren't consumed with the angelic and, and the demonic. They lived in the very real physical realm. How do I protect my family in this season? Will this season of trouble ever pass? The point of contention throughout history has rested in the fact that Jesus transcended both realms. He was fully God. He, he fully moved in that spirit realm and was a spiritual being and was God, but he was fully man and all of that meant. He spoke as the words of God and he woke up sore from sleeping on the ground. Isn't that a crazy thought? It's like, Randy, how do you know that? What is the verse that Jesus woke up? Well, we understand that when he preached, at times the Bible says he grew weary, he grew tired. Jesus had a physical body that dealt with the effects of the physical reality. I would not be surprised if Jesus, at 30 years old, after camping out with the disciples, got up and went, man, I don't feel like I'm 20 anymore. Some of you, are, you say that now. You go, I, don't, I don't feel like I did. Isn't that crazy to think that the God of the universe would go, ooh. 
my back hurts in a way that it didn't hurt before. But throughout history, people have fallen off the wagon into one ditch or the other, either that he was only God and he wasn't man or he was only man and he wasn't God when it comes to the nature of who Jesus was. And because we don't know who he was, we are not able to spot a counterfeit. And because we don't spot a counterfeit, we're going to follow people who claim to represent Jesus who don't. For years, I took my boys to the Kansas City Auto Show. And it was a tradition. And if you've ever been, it's mostly uh, mostly new automobiles. And off in the corner, they put, you know, eight or ten kind of uh, novelty cars maybe that you've never seen before from history, old, old restored cars. And I saw a sign, and I was so excited. This sign said Ferrari Testarossa. Now, if you uh, are, are not into cars, you don't know what that is. But if you were into cars, you grew up in the 80s, you know that this is like the primo Ferrari of the 80s. There was nothing like it when it was built. And even among Ferraris, it stands out. And so I wanted to see this Ferrari. And so I start heading over to where the Ferrari is. And at 100 yards through a crowd of people, I get a glimpse of this. And I know this is not a Ferrari. Like I can see it and I can instantly know. During the time that uh, that Ferrari was building the Testarossa, Testarossa, Pontiac was building a car called the Fiero. Now, the only things that these had in common is they were two seats, mid-engine, and had four tires, and it stopped immediately. They had nothing else in common. The Fiero struggled to do three things, go, stop, and turn, which are kind of the things you would buy a car to do. And the Fiero didn't do any of those very well. But because they were cheap and they were small, uh, people have a tendency to use them as the basis for kit cars. And I could tell at 100 yards through a crowd of people, this was not a Ferrari this was a Fiero, or at least it started as a Fiero. And then he had modified it to look like a Ferrari. So I walk up and I look at it and I see the guy who's the owner and I lean over to him and I, I say, nice Fiero. And he just sighs and his shoulders slump. And he says, yeah, most people can't tell the difference. And I'm thinking I can, because I have looked at the real thing for years as a kid. And I knew what the real thing looked like. Now there are worse things than turning a Pontiac into a Ferrari. And we need to prepare for them. We need to spend commensurate hours staring at who Jesus is in Scripture and asking the Lord to reveal him to us in our hearts so that when this Antichrist spirit, whether it be a real individual, whether it be just a spirit operating among people, begins to operate, we go, you know what? That's not Jesus. There's a passage in Mark where Jesus is speaking privately to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And I, I love that it's mentioned in Mark because that tells you that the minute the side meeting was over, Peter, James, John, and Andrew went and told everybody, this is what Jesus told us. It's a very candid conversation. And Jesus warns them of things to come. And he tells them in chapter 13 of Mark, verses 5 and 6, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. There's going to be some coming representing me or saying they represent me, and they'll lead people off. He didn't warn them about freakishly strange teachers who completely contradict him. He warned that there would be some who would come who would appear to represent him and even speak like him. He wasn't concerned that they would fall for the wild-haired cult leader. That's not the most dangerous person to the church. The most dangerous person to the church is the one that preaches only part of Jesus and tells the congregation that they have learned of the whole person. 
failure to really get a grasp on Jesus fully as a God and fully as God and fully as man means we don't know a false spirit when it presents itself because we're not sure what the real thing looks like. So was he fully God or did he come in the form of a man? What was the real Jesus and what standard should we use if determining if some spirit reflects the real Jesus or not? I'm always amused when secular writers take it upon themselves to write an article about what the real Jesus is like. I, I saw uh, an article earlier this week that just, it, it caused me kind of to chuckle because magazine writers, for some reason, tackle this regularly, revealing the real Jesus. And just in the last 18 months, there have been articles in National Geographic, Time, Smithsonian Magazine, and popular mechanics that all promised to reveal what the real Jesus was like. You know, I don't know that any of those magazines is really qualified to reveal the real Jesus, but of the four, popular mechanics is probably the biggest stretch for me. They're going to reveal the real Jesus and teach you how to build a go-kart all in the same magazine. But most of those magazines start by throwing scripture out completely, even though it is the most thorough account of who Jesus is. This would be like someone wanting to write your life story, but refusing to speak to your family or friends because they're so close to you that you, they couldn't possibly know the real story. The Smithsonian, surely popular mechanics are not firsthand sources when it comes to understanding scripture. The Bible is the best record and account of who we have, of who Jesus is, and the Bible makes it very clear. If you go to Colossians 2, 9, Paul writes there, he says, For in him, referring to Jesus, in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. He says all that was God found its way into the body of who Jesus was. Jesus was all God. He was not half God. He was all God. There were not some qualities of God that Jesus could not access. In fact, most of what we think of some of the most unusual qualities of God, as compared to the qualities of a human being, were exhibited at some point by Jesus while he walked on the earth. At will, Jesus suspended physical properties. When he decided to, the laws of physics did not apply to him. Now, most of you, particularly men, when you were uh, a boy, you tried things that defied the laws of physics. You know, I wonder if I can jump my bike over that at X amount of speed and it didn't work. You can't suspend the laws of physics. Jesus did. When he missed the boat or he chose not to get on the boat, he could walk on the water. You say, well, that's against the laws of physics. Yeah, but when you wrote the laws of physics, you can do these things. So as fully God in a human body, he could suspend the properties of physics. He, could, made, he made the rules so he could change the rules. He also behaved as God. God the Father breathed life into clay to make it alive. And Jesus said to people in John 20, 21, 22, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed life in them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He says, God the Father brings things to life this way. He breathes life into them. And people will say, well, gee, he never really claimed to be God, but he did. John 14, 9 says that Jesus said, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
how can you say, show us the Father? He's like, you're looking for God, you're looking at him. The idea that he was only part God or less than God opens the door to all kinds of wrong thinking, because if he wasn't a God to be obeyed, he was just a man to be reckoned with. And you can negotiate and you can reckon and you can debate with a human being, but Jesus is not here to negotiate with. If you look at probably the clearest picture we have of Jesus, it's in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 19, starting at verse 11, it describes him this way. And the Jesus that it describes here is the same Jesus that's existed through all of time. John says, I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. There is no room to negotiate with this picture of Jesus in the book of Revelation. You can't go, yeah, Jesus, you forgot that X, Y, Z. No, 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 no. He's the final word, and there's no negotiating with him. He was not, he was fully human, but he was fully God. He will comfort you. He will love you, but he will not change his course for you. He will allow you to join in what he is doing, but he will not change what he is doing because you argue him into a corner. Now, Paul uses the phrase in Philippians that Jesus emptied himself. And some theologians have said, well, see, no, he, be he became not God to walk the earth. But does that really mean he was not God? He didn't empty himself of divinity. He didn't empty himself of perfection. He emptied himself in a couple of ways, yet held things in reserve. He mostly accepted the limitations of being a human being although periodically he suspended those. His glory was mostly hidden from people. They didn't recognize who he was, although he did at one time go to the mountain and the glory of God shone all around him. He mostly gave up independent use of his relative attributes of being all-knowing and all-powerful, but there were times when he exercised that. Choosing not to exercise all the properties of God didn't make him not God. It makes him far more powerful and disciplined than any man who's ever lived because he was fully God and at times chose not to exercise the rights of that. So some people will go, okay, maybe he was God. All right. Jesus was, he was God, but then he wasn't a man. He must've been a vision. He must've been a spirit. He must've been, uh, you know, the, the a prototype of a hologram, but he wasn't a man. But it's interesting that that argument was never, ever put, put, put place in uh, his lifetime. Nobody who saw him walk the face of the earth go, this is a spirit. This isn't a real man. No one at the time of Jesus thought he was only an apparition. In fact, John writes in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. He's talking about Jesus, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So he starts to tell Jesus' story and he's like, you got to know that we've laid hands on this guy. Like we put our arms around him. He was real. He was physical. If he were not a man, John wouldn't have written this. And if he were not a man, they wouldn't have executed him 
like he was a man. Now, why is it important that he was both? Sam Randy, you're spending a lot of time on what seems like splitting hairs here. No, it's really important that you understand he was fully a man and he was fully God. It's important that he was God because only God can forgive sins. Mark 2, 7, it's one of the things that got Jesus in trouble with the religious people. They say, why does a man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We have issues and sins in our life that only God himself can forgive. And Jesus said, I can do that. But it's also important that he's a man because only a man can bear sins. Sins are accusations that happen, which in our case happen to be true. Some of you live under great accusation because of sin. And, and it's not just discouragement. You're like, no, it's actually true. And it was important that he would be a man so that he could bear our accusations. First Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So in his physical body, as he bore our sins, in him being a man and at the same time being fully God, we become reconciled to God the Father. So John calls out and tells us, test the spirits of those who seem to represent Jesus. And don't test them for their worship style or what makes us comfortable. This is the test. Do they represent the essence of who Jesus was? Because John says many, many false spirits have gone out into the world. How do we determine if there is a spirit that is operating contrary to who Jesus is, but claims to be representing him? It's someone who testifies by life or word to a false Jesus. The Bible says it's not enough just to testify and call him Lord. It is living in such a way that exerts lordship over our lives. We make him Lord by submission, not just by verbal acknowledgement. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there will be people who testify to my name who won't enter the kingdom, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. There is no shortage of Jesus talk around the world. There is far less Jesus action, okay? You can find his name a lot of places. You can find his name represented by people who don't follow through. But the enemy is not rattled by our Jesus talk. There is power in his name, but it's demonstrated in our action. And those who call him Lord, Lord, and testify to him rightly also follow up with submission. According to Jesus' words here in Matthew 7, there will be conversations and even allegiance declared to Jesus that results in nothing. There will be sermons written and books written and even lives lived with the sound of Jesus around the edges, but without Jesus at the core of obedience. And we won't know until it is all over, but it might have been directed by a false Jesus who did not actually obey the Spirit of God. It is a false Jesus that would accept our verbal acknowledgement, but not expect our obedience. It is a false Jesus that is preached, he loves you, but he doesn't ask anything of you. It is actually a denial of Jesus to pretend that we can speak one way of him and not follow up with a yes in our spirit and our activity 
that changes how we live. Saying, Lord, Lord, without the accompanying obedience isn't serving Jesus, it's actually denying him. And the reason that many can live long lives in that mode is that they are serving a false Jesus that is totally fine with that. Because he knows that proclaiming allegiance, or that spirit knows proclaiming allegiance, but practicing disobedience is fine with an antichrist spirit. Have you ever talked a lot about something you have never done? Do you do that? I've got like what I call four or five mental hobbies. There are things that I'm really intrigued with that are never going to happen. I just, I know that, you know, and at 30, you might be a thought they're happening. At 50, you're like, nah, that's not going to happen. I'm fascinated with Antarctic explorers. I've read everything I can get my hands on, on Ronald Abinson, uh, Robert Falcon Scott, who probably was the first guy to the pole, then died on the way back, never got to make the phone call. Nobody found him until years later. Ernest Shackleton, who was frozen in the ice, never made it to the pole, but is probably the most famous of all of them because he led his men back across the ice on this two-year journey. Just incredible. I'm fascinated by all this, but I don't pretend that I'm ever going to go do it. Okay. Many are those who say Antarctic, Antarctic, but who will never stand on the ice. That, that's my story. Many are those who will say, Lord, Lord, but will never demonstrate what their, what their words indicate. That is a spirit that motivates that, and it's not the spirit of the true Jesus. Jesus' talk never extended the kingdom, only Jesus' obedience. To deny the true Jesus as the is the basis of that spirit of the antichrist which John has already mentioned in chapter in 1 John chapter 2 uh, 18 and 19 he says children it is the last hour and as you have heard that antichrist is coming so now many antichrists have come he's like this individual is coming but the spirit of it is all through our world therefore we know that it's the last hour they went out from us but they were not of us for if they've been of us, they would have continued with us. He's like, these are people that had some vestiges of the church. They were near Jesus, and they even spoke of Jesus. But when they went, what lacked was an understanding of who he was. We think of the Antichrist as a man, which is true. And I don't want to minimize that, feature, that, that figure that will come in the future. But neither do I want to ignore the fact that the Spirit of being antichrist operates right now through the history of the church. And it is the spirit that both opposes the true Jesus and offers us a grade B substitute that allows us to talk about Jesus and never obey. Your testing of the spirits of those around you and even the spirit within you needs to hinge on one thing. Does the real Jesus know me and do I know him? And do I know him well enough to discern the real from the fake? And I, do I know him well enough to obey? It is my picture of Jesus and my reflection of Jesus. Is that accurate? Can he count on my radical obedience to do what he says, no matter how culture flows? Now, we, we love having Steve and Kristen among us. I love that you guys are, are here this morning. This, is, this blesses me, okay? We have watched you guys over the past couple of months. And, uh, you know, if you, if you don't know the whole story, they just picked up, moved to Alaska. And it sounds a whole lot simpler than I just described. It was not simple. And it's still not simple. But we think of that as radical obedience. But what is obedience to hearing a voice, if not radical? Is it any more rational to obey the whim of the Spirit who directs you to go have a conversation with your neighbor 
It's just is irrational if you've never broached that subject of who Jesus is with them. It may be a little bit less risky. If it goes badly, you just go to your home, but it's just as radical. There is a direct connection between knowing the true Jesus and what the world would term radical obedience. You know, we strive in our home with our children for what we call first time, first time obedience. All right. That is meaning I only have to say one time. Now, I would like to tell you we have mastered that. That would be a lie. I would like to say that, but it's not true. But we're shooting for it. We're shooting for this idea that mom and dad don't have to repeat things. Can, can you imagine what it would do to the spirit of Jesus if we would exercise first-time obedience? If we would hear his voice and we would exercise it. There's a direct connection between knowing the true Jesus and what the world would call radical obedience. The false Jesus doesn't really demand much of us. But the real Jesus calls us to do things we would never dream up on our own. And when we hear that call to walk it out, history is full of people who never really knew what it meant to follow Jesus until suddenly they heard the voice and they followed the call to do something that everybody else thought was radical. But to the person answering the call, they felt drawn to it in such a unique way that they couldn't imagine not responding. There's a great quote from Ray Kinsella from the field of dreams where he says, I'm 36 years old. I love my family. I love baseball and I'm about to become a farmer. But until I heard the voice, I'd never done a crazy thing in my life. He's like, until I would, until I, you know, they came out of the corn and told me what to do. I, I never did anything crazy. Some of you, you, you've heard the voice of Jesus and you've thought, I've never done a crazy thing in the, in the world until now I've, I've been encouraged by the Lord to do this one thing. Now, in addition to just being obedient, here's why it's important. When we see and represent an accurate picture of Jesus, we step into a power that exceeds what we could ever muster for ourselves in order to reflect who he is to the world. That is the path of Jesus that we are gathered here for. That one that takes radical steps of obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit comes in and suddenly we're doing things we wouldn't have done in a different day because he meets us there. The lesson of this year, I think for all of us, has been to never say, what else could happen? Okay, I, I think we've all maybe learned that lesson. On a personal level, on a national level, on the international stage, it's been a year of surprises to the point that we're surprised when something surprising does not happen. How many of you get up in the morning, hit the app to listen to the news and just kind of brace yourself because it's been the craziest season? To refer to something as being 2020, is kind of shorthand for saying it was jacked up. Yeah, that's a very 2020 thing to happen. Man has always needed the power of the Holy Spirit down through history. So maybe it's not accurate to say now more than ever, but we can say, however things were in the past, we need him now. To the man or the woman or the child who testifies to and obeys the true Jesus, this is what John promised in 1 John 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God. In other words, you know the real Jesus. And you have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's like, if you know the real Jesus, there is a spirit in you that will overcome even, you know, maybe Jesus was even thinking, even what's coming in 2020. If they know me, they're going to be okay. With the worship of the true Jesus comes the presence of the Holy Spirit. And with the presence of the Holy Spirit, coupled with obedience, comes overcoming power. 
What a more logical ploy of the enemy than to sell you a fake Jesus that demands no obedience and gives nothing in return, allowing us to rest in our pew and die with the words, Lord, Lord, on our mouth that have accomplished nothing in our heart or in his world. Remember, it was the true Jesus that told us the chapter before the Spirit of God lives in you, and that was related to obedience. 1 John 4, I'm sorry, 3.24 says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. No antichrist or fake Christ promises that. It was only the Son of God. With obedience to him comes the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and with the presence of the counterfeit, all that comes is defeat. We're in a season where oh, so many of us are under incredible pressure. And when there is great pressure, there are many spirits in play. And maybe even people you know that have said, Lord, Lord, in times past, have positioned themselves very differently than you in this season over things that they have failed to align with the truth of Scripture. And they're getting worn down and they're actually beginning to reflect a spirit different than the one that they did when things were easy. The primary reason to test the spirit is to measure the spirits within you against the spirits of those around you. And the real reason is to know the true Jesus so that we are not like the frog that becomes boiled in the pot of circumstance, which gets turned up degree after degree after degree. And as the environment has changed over the past few months, there are those that are being boiled alive just because they don't know the true Jesus and don't walk in obedience to him. In times of pressure, counterfeits arise. I implore you, settle for nothing except the real, and the real will make expectations of you. And how you respond to those expectations will release the power of the Holy Spirit in you to meet what he is calling you to do. If that Jesus is real, fully God and fully man, anything is possible. If we settle for half of that, nothing is possible. And more than any time in our lives, we have got to have the real. You've been listening to the third cup of coffee. My name is Randy Bolander. Glad to have you with us. If you would like to track a little more closely, go to thebridgekc.church. Thebridgekc.church. Have a great day.